If you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 110. Psalms are in the middle of the Bible. Psalm 110. Um, Anna Maria has the blessing or the chore, I'm not sure which it will be, of hearing this for the second time because we had this a while back in Spanish and she can tell you afterwards which sermon is better or maybe neither one. Um, Listen to the word of God from Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. Here's the key verse we'll look at. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek or in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Uh, The word of the living God, uh, shall we pray? Father, we thank you for this psalm, the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. Um, We thank you for the many truths in it. We pray that this morning we would look at the truth of the, the uh, priest, the perfect priest that we need after the order of Melchizedek in order for us to be presented holy and righteous to you. Um, cause us to, um, to reflect on your greatness, Lord Christ, um, and it's in your name that we pray, amen. Um, <clears throat> Uh, I, I don't know if you've been in a situation where you needed a, a mediator. A mediator is someone who's between you and another, another person. Um, uh, in 2012, the, I had to go up on the roof of the uh, place we were staying in, Camichines, Mexico, doing uh, missions work because Julie had received a phone call. That <clears throat> a, uh, an attorney over in Maryland would take uh, Jorge Vasquez's case. He had... Um, two very serious convictions, which if they were not overturned, uh, it would derail his residency. Um, and there would, be no, um, there would be no recourse for him. Um, and I remember sitting in the court a few years later, the courtroom, and, and um, just the, um, <clears throat> the anxiety in my heart, you know, thinking, well, is this, how is this going to go? Um, what if it doesn't go our way? And thinking of the verse in Isaiah, I think it's 26.3, his mind is kept in perfect peace. Who, his heart is kept in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, I think is what it is, um, in the old King James. And I remember thinking we, our, our lawyer was a mediator between us and the judge to advocate on behalf of Jorge. And we, I'm going to come back to that at the end of the sermon and tell you the rest of the story. But there are many biblical examples of intercessors or mediators. Abraham interceded for Lot in, in Genesis uh, <clears throat> chapter 18. Um, he, inter- he interceded for Lot in 14, which we're going to see, and then later in 18, Joseph interceded for his brothers. Moses interceded for Pharaoh. Remember Pharaoh, Exodus 8, asked him, said, relent, call, call your God off from all these plagues. 
And again for the Israelites in Numbers 14. Little advertisement. Read Numbers 14 for the rest of the study on Hebrews with Steve Hollage. Job sought an intercessor. There is no arbiter between us, he said, who might lay his hand on us both. The function of the Old Testament priests was to mediate between God and the people. If you read Leviticus 16, the Day of Atonement, the high priest entered the most holy place. Very specific instruction, instructions on what he was to do. Now, we have cultural differences, linguistic differences, worship practices, which can make, us hard, make it hard for us to understand these things. The, the world of the Pentateuch, that is the world of the first five books of the Bible, can seem strange to us. How many of you have done a read through the Bible in a year? Leviticus comes around the first or second week in February, and you start reading, and some of us are old enough to remember Evelyn Wood's speed reading courses. Remember that where you took your finger and um, <clears throat> she claimed to be able to have tremendous comprehension I never was very good at it. Well, some of us start to speed read because the rituals seem so strange. And the offerings seem odd. And the um, the sacrifices seem seem otherworldly. We get bogged down in the details. But brothers and sisters, we must attempt to enter into the biblical narrative, to use the modern language. We must enter that narrative in order to understand it. One of my seminary professors had a great comment. He said, Leviticus is about rules for holy living. It's about rules for holy living. How do you approach a holy God? How do we approach these passages? Do you have a glazed eye, or are you speed reading? Or do you have questions, or is there just resignation? Well, you know, I'll never understand this. That's what study Bibles are for. It's what pastors are for. It's what Bible studies for. It's what commentaries are for, to help us to understand the context of the Old Testament. One of the more difficult things for me is the Hispanic ministry is multicultural. Ana Maria's from Ecuador. It's in South America. Another woman not here this morning, Glenda's from Guatemala. It's in Central America. We have people from Mexico. We have people from Venezuela. These are very different countries. Yes, they speak Spanish, but they're different cultures, different foods, different words. Sometimes I make a mistake, say the wrong word. We need to enter the world of the Bible to understand it. Do we think and meditate about holiness, the need for a perfect high priest, the sacrifice of the perfect high priest, the intercession that is between us and God of the great high priest, the way Mr. Olderog bought the weight up for, for me? Do we, do we think about that? Because we enter God's throne room of grace. There's no question about it. Hebrews chapter 4, we have a high priest who can, we don't have a high priest who, um, cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in every way like us. But what does it say? But without sin. But be careful, my brothers and sisters, it can distort our thinking. It can distort our thinking about sin and repentance. It can distort our thinking about the great privilege that we have. The Old Testament saints looked ahead. 
Oh, for Christ's coming. Oh, they waited for it. That great Messiah. And we have the privilege of looking back at the crucifixion and entering into the throne room of grace. But as my brother Brian reminds us, we have the great expectation of looking forward to the second coming. So we need a priest to intercede for us, and that priest must be of the order of Melchizedek. Look at this, verse 4. The Lord has sworn. It will not change his mind, Nacham in Hebrew. The Lord has sworn. In other words, God's taken an oath. Remember, he made an oath. Swore by himself to who? To Abraham, remember? In Genesis. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. This is like with the seal on it. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Who is he? Where is he from? What does the Bible say about him? One commentator notes that Melchizedek is like a character in a play who suddenly bursts onto the scene, says a few words of dialogue, and then leaves almost as quickly as he came. Well, his name or his title, um, Melech, is, is king. Sedek means righteousness, king of righteousness. Hebrews 7 2 tells us that. And he appears three times in the Bible Genesis 14, 18 through 20, three short verses. A thousand years later in Psalm 110, and a thousand years later in the book of Hebrews. So, Genesis 14, Psalm 110 that we're studying today, and a thousand years later in the book of Hebrews. Steve Hollage, without a doubt, is going to talk extensively about this when he gets to chapter 6 and 7. Genesis 14 says three things. That he, Melchizedek, is the priest of God Most High. He blessed Abram and he received a tenth of the spoils of war. You, You may remember the account. Lot was taken by five kings. Uh, and, and, or, or by four kings, five kings went up against them. They lost and they took Lot away. And what happened? Abram went and rescued him and Melchizedek blessed him. We're in Canaan. Let's not forget, when Abram came into Canaan, it wasn't a vacant land. It wasn't as if nobody lived there. It was inhabited by pagans. And in the middle of this pagan land, who's there? Melchizedek. Priests of God Most High. Where did he come from? We, 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 miss, we miss how shocking this is to the original re- readers. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And they're saying, what? This is like, this is like saying the president and the senate are one. Or the, or, the, or, the, or, or the courts and the Senate are one. We're saying we've got a separation of powers here. We've got the king on his throne anointed by God, and we have the priests out of the line of Aaron and Levi. What do you mean they're going to be together? And what happened? Do you remember Uzziah? In 2 Chronicles 26, went into the temple, offered the incense. What does the Bible say? Say he became prideful. And he went in and he offered the incense. And what happened? He was leprous. And not only leprous, quarantine. Quarantine, not not for a year, not for 15 months. Quarantine for the rest of his life with no access to the temple, the place of worship, for his foolishness of trying to take the priestly role when he was a king. But what we have here in Psalm 110 is a foreshadowing of the offices Prophet, priest, and king, right? But in this case, priest and king, the the offices combined 
into Christ. Jeremiah 33, in those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Zechariah, make a crown, set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and say to him, and say to him, behold the man whose name is the branch, it is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne. So we have, we have these, these hints in the Old Testament that the offices of priest and king will be combined. Psalm 110, Jeremiah, Zechariah, there are other texts I'm not quoting. But where we see this, uh, where we see this explained is in the book of Hebrews. And it's a wonderful uh, hermeneutical is a fancy word meaning interpretation. It's a wonderful interpretive principle that the New Testament interprets the Old. The book of Hebrews cites Melchizedek eight times. Eight times. He is a highly important figure in the theology of Hebrews. Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek from the tribe of Judah, not from the tribe of Levi. He can't be a mortal priest. Hebrews 7 Verse 11, now if, per, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? Hebrews 7, verse 11. This points, as you see, to the uniqueness of Jesus the uniqueness of Jesus uniquely born, uniquely given all three offices, uniquely able to intercede for us. Now, is there a real-life application? You better believe there is. The perfect priest must be from another lineage because the Levitical priests are fallible. Some of the old-timers here, the McCalls, probably the Whites, Bobby Trennis, Julie and I, a few others who are in here, remember Tim McClelland and he used to have an expression that cemeteries are full of indispensable people. Graveyards are full of indispensable people. Well, they are. It was an object lesson to me recently when I went to Tyson's Corner, and the bank building I worked at is now a CVS pharmacy. Things come and go, don't they? But we're going to see the priesthood of Jesus is forever. The Old Testament sacrifices were never meant to be complete in and of themselves. They point to Jesus. The Levitical priests point to Jesus, the great high priest. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the writer of Hebrews quotes Psalm 110 to show the absolute necessity of a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You know, you think of how wonderful God is to provide this priest. All the Old Testament pointing to Christ. Well, one of the critiques of, of the Reformed tradition we're in is that it, it, it imposes a theology on the text. In other words, it, 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 it has a theological structure, let's say, a structure of how the Bible works, and it, and it puts it on the text. I don't think that's right. I don't think we're imposing it on the text at all. I think the text itself speaks to this. Charles Spurgeon once said that Reformed theology was just a nickname for biblical theology. 
I think he was probably right. And the only sensible understanding of the inclusion of Psalm 110 is that it does point to Christ. Why do I say that? What, what does it say at the top? If you have a Bible, it says, A Psalm of whom? David, thank you. A Psalm of David. A Psalm of David. A Psalm written well before some of the Psalms in Book 5. Why is it included? Because it's a Psalm of the Divine Warrior. We, we won't get into that. You, you could have a whole sermon on the Divine Warrior, but I'm going to touch on it in a minute. But Psalm 110 is there because, as, as Dr. Palmer Robertson says in his commentary, the flow of the Psalms, Book 5 deals with communication. It is communicating to a uh, exiled community and a, a community post-exilic, that is, after the exile to Babylon, that there's hope. The divine warrior's still there. He didn't go to sleep. How many, <coughs> excuse me, how many years do you think they were in Babylon? And, and the Babylonians making fun of them. Where, where's your God? He's invisible. Look, look at our walls. You could put however many chariots across them. But what happened to Babylon? It fell. Just like every other kingdom. And God remains constant. It's the only sensible understanding for the inclusion of Psalm 110 in Book 5. Hebrews speaks about this priest. 727, Hebrews 727. He has no need like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. We're about to celebrate the supper. Jesus offers a new and better covenant. If I die, it doesn't save anybody. But when Jesus died, he offered up himself for, for those of his people. He didn't commit any sins, you see. The perfect priest offers the perfect sacrifice that is perfectly accepted and perfectly satisfies the wrath of God. The perfect priest offers the perfect sacrifice, perfectly accepted, and it perfectly satisfies the coming wrath of God. The mercy and the love and the grace, the goodness, the kindness, as our brother Steve Hollich says, of the Lord Jesus. No abandonment. Uh, the unfathomable humility. Uh, Brian and I both studied under uh, Professor Al Mawini. You'll remember him, I'm sure, Brian. And I remember standing, and this, this was a man who knew the Greek Bible, knew, knew the Greek New Testament, probably still does, as well as I know the Spanish Bible, if not better. And he stood up in, in front of the class one, one night and said, you know, I don't, I don't think, I don't know that I'll ever understand the humility of Jesus. Now, this was a man who had made it his life's study to know the Gospels. And what he meant was, when he says the humility, the, the, the coming out of the perfect fellowship with the Father and the Spirit, an unimaginably perfect, sinless fellowship, and coming down to this earth, 720 says, 727 tells us in Hebrews, to offer himself up. It's unimaginable. Paul talks about it in Romans 5, doesn't he? It's unimaginable. It's unthinkable. And, and we need it, to, we need it to, to be in our very being inside here. So that when it's inside here, it transforms us. Wow, I don't deserve this. Look what you've done for me. 
the moving the weight was wonderful. I'll probably get Chris Olderog to take it out of the car. But it's nothing compared to what Jesus has done. Nothing. Ephesians 2, 12 and 13 says that those who are far away have been brought near. Hebrews 7, 23 to 25, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing office. How about that? They died just like the rest of us. The former priests were many in number. Why? Because they were prevented by death from continuing office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Wow. A permanent priesthood continues forever? Saved to the uttermost? Do we believe this? I hope we do. He's a perfect priest. Now back to Jorge in the courtroom. Don't forget we started with that. And, and I remember just rejoicing when, when the charges, it's called vacating the charges and, or vacating the verdict, I think it is in legal language. But basically it meant it's like taking a big eraser and just wiping away. I mean, he had serious charges. They, they, they would have prevented him from ever being a resident. Now he's applied for citizenship of this country. And it was, it was just a wonderful moment. I mean, it was, I can't tell you, it was a real highlight of, of, of ministry for me. Um, but you know what? In comparison with Christ's verdict, with Christ's work, that is, for us, the fact that he has justified us, he saved us, he intercedes for us, is far, far greater than what any earthly court can do. Uh, it's Independence Day, and we rightly celebrate uh, the 245th signing, I believe it is, of, uh, 245th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. But what we really want to celebrate is what Paul says in Philippians. Where's our citizenship? It's in heaven. Our citizenship's in heaven. My brothers and sisters and friends, I want to ask you, do we think about, do we meditate, and do we consider holiness? Leviticus 19.2, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Hebrews 12, verse 14, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, doesn't say some people, says no one. Without holiness, do we meditate on that, on being set apart by God? What does it mean to be holy? What does it mean in my daily life to be holy? What does it mean in how I, I go to work? What does it mean in how I'm in retirement, in how I serve others, and what I do at the church? What does it mean to be holy? Read Leviticus. Wrestle with it, as Pastor Steve Hohenberger used to say. Get in there and wrestle with those texts. Yeah, they're hard. But get in there and deal with them. And then go over to Hebrews and read it. Wow, look how this is fulfilled in Christ. How, how, how is this having an impact on me? And, am, am, I, am I different pre, post-pandemic from what I was pre-pandemic? Or am I just going along the way I was? What's, what's your relationship to the perfect priest? What's your relationship? Do you view him as your savior? Because that, that's, that's how he offers himself. 
In that courtroom that day, we were able to leave. Thankfully, the, the verdict was in our favor. But on the great day, there will be no place to turn. I tried to scare anybody. This, these are biblical truths. If you do not know the perfect priest as your Savior, then he will be the judge. Dr. R.C. Sproul once said that he thinks those who are there on that day who will try to justify themselves by their works will be absolutely silent because face-to-face with that unimaginable power, they will realize the utter futility of trying to justify themselves by their works. Are you here this morning? Maybe say, well, I don't know. I want to know about this. Then see me. See ruling Elder Horn. Pastor Brian's right here. Come and talk to us. Because we want you to know the perfect priest as a savior. The one who offers himself now to all who come to him. There's nobody in this room who can't come to God today if you don't, if you don't know him. Some of you think I've become a Baptist. I haven't. But this text calls us, calls us to the gospel. It calls us. It calls us. And why do I say that? Because look at the rest of it. Look at the rest of Psalm 110. Where did I put it? I got it in here somewhere. So look at the rest of Psalm. Here it is. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. This is a psalm ultimately about the divine warrior. And it's about the divine warrior's judgment, ultimate judgment on the earth. The day is coming. We don't know when. But the day is coming. And we want to be found in Christ. We want to be found in the perfect high priest. We want to be found with him interceding for us. Psalm 110 communicates to us a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Believe in him and believe him today. He lives to intercede for us before his holy father. Our only hope in this world and the next is Jesus, the perfect high priest. Let us pray. Father, whether I've preached clearly or not, I, I don't know, but you do, and your Holy Spirit, I trust, has worked in every heart here. I pray that, um, I pray that this, this, uh, this study of, of a priest after the order of Melchizedek will cause us to reflect on our great high priest, the Lord Jesus, on his holiness and, and on our need for holiness and that it would give us a sense of urgency about the coming judgment. Thinking of unsaved family members, unsaved neighbors, unsaved friends, unsaved colleagues. Getting, we don't get what we deserve because you've saved us. But we're no different from others who are unsaved except for the work of Christ. Oh, let that, let that be so much a part of us that there is an urgency. There is an urgency to share the good news about the perfect high priest. 
And it's in his name, the name of the dear Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.